All right. The Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. I don't know if you ever feel alone. Uh, we often go through times where we feel alone. Um, maybe it's a, pers- a misconception of where we are. I think this is something about uh, why we like cities. Uh, all the way back from the beginning of time, uh, God made families. He said it was not good for Adam to be alone. Um, and, and so he made families, but even in those families, he made communities. So our faith community is a family where we spiritually get to know one another, love one another, encourage one another. And so this is another type of spiritual family uh, because even though we're in a city with millions of people, you know it's very easy to be alone, to feel alone, to feel like no one gets you. Maybe you've told yourself that this week, or no one cares. Um, But you know, those things are not true, uh, because we may feel that way at times, and we're just kind of telling ourselves a lie. Um, God's people have wrestled with those thoughts. Elijah, as he wondered if there was any other person out there uh, who identified with him, uh, he sat really ready to die thinking he was all alone. And God made him take a nap and eat a good meal, and he felt better uh, after spending time in God's presence. Paul, I think, felt that uh, at times toward the end of his life, especially when he was actually literally all alone. Um, And so maybe you've come today and you feel that way. I know if you don't, you will have times where you feel like no one cares for you. I know John Payton felt that way, missionary to New Hebrides, right as he began his ministry on a remote island there, surrounded by cannibals, um, wanting to share the good news with them. And uh, very shortly after getting there, his wife and his child, only child, died. And he felt very alone, had a hard time getting himself physically from their grave, um, and definitely emotionally. And so not only do we feel this sometimes because of just the way we're made, our personality, but sometimes we go through times of life that really make us feel that way. And so it's not necessarily that that you're telling yourself a lie, but you know what? Lord, I'm all alone. And so we come to places that 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 is tough, and we need to come to texts like this to help encourage us. You are not alone today. God is with you. God is with you, Um, to recognize that Jesus himself is with us, and to let that be a a conviction. Um, So if you are today uh, feeling alone, or perhaps you are just embarking on a new journey, uh, you're, you're facing a large sea in front of you, and the Egyptian army at your back, and you feel trapped, and you're like, I can't handle this by myself. Well, you are not alone. There is the comforting presence of Christ to help you, to strengthen you in all of these areas with what you're dealing with. And so that's what I want, and that's what this text wants you to really get a hold of today. You are not alone. You are not alone. Christ is with you. But that's not just true of New Testament saints. This is what's really fascinating, what we're learning, that that is true of Old Testament saints as well. Christ was with them. He was with them. 
And, and, and this is, I, I just really hope you'll follow along today. Um, there's some fascinating ways that this is true. Is this ringing? The microphone? Is it okay? All right. If it starts ringing, let me know. Um, it is really neat what, what this, how this all comes together as we look at Exodus. Okay, so just a few things of review as we move on. The Old Testament is filled with pictures, prophecies, and portrayals of Christ, right? And so he's all throughout the Old Testament. In fact, he confronted those who did not see this truth. He said to them, O foolish men, slow of heart to believe, and all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things? And then beginning at Moses, he taught them about himself. You are foolish not to believe this, is what Jesus said. And we would be foolish not to believe that Jesus is with them in the Old Testament. We saw that some of the most striking references to Christ in the Old Testament are called Christophanies. And we looked at Christophanies, Theophanies, right? Remember that in anthropomorphisms? Going to not review that. Move on. These are what we're looking at. This subset of Christ in the Old Testament that we call Christophanies. Christophanies. I do have a long study on this uh, that, that I'm... I'm Willing to share, welcome to share with you. If you would like that, let me know. Um, in Christophanes, the shadow of Christ in the Old Testament takes on form and appearance. So it's not just the shadow of the sacrificial system or the prophet, priest, king. It's actually appearance. He, he takes on not substance, but the appearance and form of Christ. And so we find him walking, walking on our pages. And this is fascinating. And so I'm trying to go through almost every one of them. And, and so we're skipping ahead. Last time we did Genesis 22, and it, my favorite one, where Jesus actually stops Isaac from death so that he would be born and be pierced. Um, so we're going to go from Genesis 22 all the way to around Exodus 22. I just have a few to read, and that's all we're going to be able to do. Christ appears to Isaac as he speaks as the Lord. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. That happens twice in Genesis 26. Here's a second one. Christ appears in a dream at Jacob's ladder. Genesis 28. Jacob had a dream. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. Behold, angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord... He's seeing the Lord stand, saying, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham and Isaac. He's seeing the Lord stand. I would say that's a Christophany. Number three here. This is an interesting one. Jesus wrestles with Jacob. And Jacob sees God's face. And he says, Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been preserved. And he's amazed by that. Now, he limps the rest of his life, but here is another reference in Genesis. Another one, and, and I would say it's all over Exodus, but they're not as marked. So I'm only going to look at the two in Exodus that are more clear. All right. Um, oh, this is, this is the wrong reference. This is Exodus 3 at the burning bush. Exodus 3, 1 through 3, Christ meets Moses at the burning bush. Moses hides his face, for he's afraid to look at God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. God called to him from the midst of the bush. So the angel of the Lord called to him from the midst of the bush. 
God called to him from the midst of the bush. The angel of the Lord is God. And as he talks to him, he says, I am the Lord. He goes and reveals his name, as we'll see, in that bush. He reveals his name for the first time, actually, to Moses as I am. Um, And yet, according to Moses, he's seeing this as the angel of the Lord. And so we find, again, Jesus is Yahweh. Okay, now, let's move to this one. Fast forward to Exodus 23. A lot has gone, has come and gone by the time we get to Exodus 23. And so we're going to jump into Exodus 23. Let me just summarize Exodus in two words, liberation and revelation. Exodus, beginning of Exodus, it's like 40 chapters, and you can almost cut those in half. The first half of Exodus is all about liberation, bringing Israel out of Egypt. The last half, from chapters 19 to 40, would be revelation. God giving them revelation about how they should live in the land. This is right toward the beginning of that revelation port when, when God shares the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20. He gives some more revelation, and then the people are ready to say, I do. They're ready to take the Old Covenant upon themselves, seal it in blood. Um, and in that time period, God comes to Moses this way. Speaks to him and say, Behold, I am going to send an angel before you to guard you. And so he is going to comfort them. And then secondly, we'll see today, he's going to convict them. Okay, so those are two ideas from Exodus 23 about the angel of the Lord for us. First of all, the comforting promise of God's presence. Behold, I am going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. God promises to go with them by sending an angel before you to guard you along the way to bring you to the place which I have prepared. Now, I like that A capitalized. How many of you have your Bible in front of you? All right. Some of them capitalize that A. I prefer that they capitalize the A. Uh, Behold, I'm going to send an angel. I would say this is the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord, and this would be Jesus, the angel of the Lord, who is going to go along with them. One of the first references to the angel of the Lord, but not the first. We've seen this already. This is a holy messenger. Behold, I am going to send an angel. The term angel just means messenger. I'm going to send a messenger to you. Of course, we have the whole teaching in the Bible about angels, these spirit beings. And and you know that some of them followed Satan, demons. Some of them followed, stayed true to God, these created beings. This is a special messenger, though. This is not in that category. This is a totally different person who is called the angel of the Lord. This is a special messenger who's sent to give specific references, uh, revelation uh, from God. I like this quote. If you all look at, uh, this is a good book on Christ in the Old Testament, Beginning at Moses by Dr. Barrett. Um, I, I don't know that I'm going to say this, but I think he's probably right. Uh, The reference to the angel of the Lord does not occur in every Christophany. So as we see all these Christophanies, not all of them say that they are the angel of the Lord. But it is safe to say that the angel of the Lord always refers to Christ. And I have a list of these. Again, this is another study I did. And if you would like to see all of those references to the angel of the Lord, I'd be happy to share that with you. And the different things that we read about the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. Uh, I think he's right on right there. Uh, because there, there's so many are clearly Jesus, 
And the few that were not sure are Jesus could be Jesus. Okay. Um, so I, I, like, I like his conclusion there. Uh, so who is this angel of the Lord? I'm going to send an angel of the Lord and he is going to guard you. This is what he will do. He will guard you along the way. He is going to keep them safe. He is going to go before them and be like a, a shepherd. So Moses is kind of shepherding, but there is a, he is an under-shepherd above a true shepherd. The pastor of Israel is Jesus. He will go before them to guard them as he brings them into the land. That's the second. He will guard them. Um, we find in Exodus 14, 19, the angel of God who had been going before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. Do you see that? So there's this, yeah, we know the Shekinah glory of God that symbolizes God's presence uh, went and led Israel. Well, there were certain times, and this is actually a time when I was talking about where they're between the Red Sea and the army of, of Egypt coming after them and so the pillar and fire and this is saying also the angel of God who is going before them leading them forward at that point goes behind them and distracts the army from coming down upon them as they cross the Red Sea and so we find this reference of an angel of God this messenger of God who's going before them even back in Exodus 14 and at this point he's protecting them he goes behind them And then he will do that until he brings them into the Holy Land. Um, he will bring you. He will bring you safely into the place which I have prepared. Uh, and so we think of the Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts. Well, here is Jesus who is the captain of the Lord of armies. Um, a couple other references that show that he's going to do that until the place that he has prepared. Um, this is in Exodus 17. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that me, we may drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord as you quarrel with me? And then God says, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and then he named that place Massa. Um, because they tested the Lord. And he said, is the Lord among us? And so there's this repeated theme in Exodus. The Lord is among us or is he among us? Here he says, when the rock comes forward and gives you water, I will be the one standing there with you. And that may be bringing a reference to your mind. Uh, I realize this is a lot of references. Write them down. Uh, put them in your Bible. 1 Corinthians 10.4 All drank the spiritual drink. They were drinking from a spiritual rock. So it's not just the water that followed them that gave them physical sustenance. Paul says that rock was Christ. That angel, that messenger was Messiah. That was Christ in the Old Testament. And Jesus said, didn't you see me there? Didn't you see me there? I was following them as the angel of the Lord. I was going with them. I was providing water for them. This is Christ. And he provides water for us, and so he will appeal to the wood of the well, right? This is the living water that Jesus is to us. He is our rock. He is the rock of the church, just as he was the rock that gave them spiritual water if they would respond in faith. 
And he would do that until he brought them into the land that he provided for them. Uh, Jesus is our rock today that will provide for us. He will guide us through until the land that he has gone ahead to prepare for us. Do not be dismayed. For if I have gone away, I will come again. Receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. I've gone to prepare a place for you. But we're not so, I would have told you. Right? This is what Jesus is doing for us now. And before he left, he said, I will be with you until the end of the age when I come to receive you to the place that I'm preparing for you. That place which I have prepared for you is beautiful. But even until then, he is walking with us. Christ is sustaining us. He's helping us. And he is with you today. He is with you to strengthen you, to enable you. John Payton mentions a time when uh, he was surrounded by these cannibals as they are trying to kill him. Um, and, and he just kind of hunkers down in the middle of his hut and just has a time of prayer all night. Nothing he can do about it. Years later, he asked that chief who became a Christian, what happened? And he said, we couldn't get you because of all those men that were surrounding you. Like, who were those men? This is the men you have surrounding you every day. Jesus himself, right? Jesus said, I could call 10,000 angels. Um, Jesus is with us today just as he was with them. The angel of the Lord is going before us. He is sustaining us. He is enabling us. And you may not have people trying to kill you. I hope not. I did have guys, a guy threaten my life yesterday on the subway. But he was pretty much doing that to everybody. <laughs> but he started yelling at me. But you know what? The Lord goes before me. Right? It may not be that you're facing death or imminent threat like that. But all of us are facing difficulties that go beyond our strength. I can't control the world institutions and the world banks. Right? I can't even control health, my health. I don't know what germ is what. I can be careful. I can be careful in all these ways, but there are so many things outside of my control. And those things, I just have to say, the Lord's in control. He is with me. He is totally with me. And he is with you. And he leads us through these times that truly do become difficult. So you do not face your difficulty alone. You do not face the silence alone. You're not alone today. Christ is with you. He is your unseen angel of the Lord with all the might and power, all the knowledge of everything about you. And so even through the fire, we can trust in him. Even through the desert, <laughs> uh, when you're looking for your water, you can trust in him. And so in our difficulty, we trust in the Lord who is with us. God is with me. God is with me. He will lead me along. George Young wrote a beautiful poem about this, and it's one that we've been singing ever since. We don't know much at all about him except that he was a young pastor um, not able to be paid by his church very much, so he worked as a carpenter as well on the side. Over many years, he scraped enough together to, to build his family a house. 
one week while speaking in a different area, uh, people that hated him for his preaching burnt down that house. Uh, He returned to a shed of ashes. He was meditating on Job 23.10. He knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. We don't know much else about his life or ministry except that in these words, in shady green pastures so rich and so sweet, God leads his dear children along. Where the water's cool flow bathes the weary one's feet, God leads his dear children along. Sometimes on the mountain where the sun shines so bright, God leads. Sometimes in the valley in darkest of night, God leads. Through sorrows, though sorrows befall us and evils oppose, though grace through grace we can conquer, defeat all our foes. Away from the mire, away from the clay, away up in glory, eternity's day, God leads his dear children along. And you know the refrain, right? Some through the water, some through the fire, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season and all the day long. There are, in our life, times of fire. There are times of flood. There are times of difficulty. There are times of feast. But in all of these things, God leads us along. God leads his children along. You're not alone. He is carrying you. He is sustaining you. He is enabling you. And he is comforting you. So we come the comforting promise of God's presence even in the fire. And that's another Christophany that we'll consider maybe if we have time in a little other time. Let's look secondly here at the convicting challenge of God's presence. And this is really, this is really fascinating as we kind of tie this into the story of Exodus. Because he doesn't leave it with just comfort, does he? Verse 20 is verse comfort. But the biggest part of this is actually conviction. Um, He said, God will guard you. The angel of the Lord will guard you. That same word he uses, then because he's going to guard you, guard yourself. Guard your heart. Be on your guard to obey him. Do not be rebellious toward this angel of the Lord. For he will, this is God saying, be careful how you respond to the angel of the Lord who's going before you because he will not pardon your transgression." Why? Since my name is in him. But if you obey, do all that I say, then he will be an enemy to your enemies. We have this very interesting caution. God's presence purifies us. Because God is with us, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. And so when you go out Monday at work or, right, Tuesday, or you're all alone and no one else is watching you, he's still with you. He's still with you. So not only does this comfort us that I'm not alone, but it also purifies. I need to be careful how I maintain my integrity and purity, even when no one is watching because Christ is watching. So I need to be on my guard myself that I'm listening to his voice, that I'm trying to obey him and not be rebellious toward him. So there's this caution To obey the presence of God in us, in our midst. And this is the amazing reason. Look at this phrase. 
Why should I obey this? Why should they obey this angel of the Lord? Because my name is in him. This angel of the Lord who's gone before you, who has brought you out of Egypt, my name is in him. Now, there's two ideas here. We need to understand the concept, my name is in him. But also, that because my name is in him, he is, you need to listen to him, and he's not going to forgive you. That's astounding. So how does that all work with, with, with the Bible's theme? Well, let's just take a minute with that. Since my name is in him. Of course, we know that is an astounding phrase. The last time that Moses looks at the angel of the Lord... God reveals to him his name, his name that is, I am. All right, so the angel of the Lord is in the burning bush, and he says, tell them that I am has sent you, as he reveals to them his name. And so he's going to tell Moses this again. My name, Yahweh, I am, is inside of him. It's in his midst. It's inside him. It's part of him. It's like his DNA. My name is inside him, the angel of the Lord. The name is what we respect to this day, Yahweh. And, and so I think there's, there's people that argue about this. This is something that Jehovah's Witness, that it's really silly how they make such a huge deal out of this. But they say, oh, you say Jehovah, you should say Yahweh, or you should say this. And your, your Bible translates this, capital L-O-R-D. Well, people, people use translation, right? So, so my name is Timoteo. Did you know that? My name is also Timothy. And it's just, just the way it's translated in different places, right? So this is what we're talking about, the way names are translated. If, if you call me Timoteo, then Sarah doesn't come up to you and say, you don't know Tim, because that's his name. His name is Timothy. It's not Timoteo. Okay, it's just the way the name's translated. Okay, so get over it. Now, we need to be accurate. This is the name I am. This is the name Yahweh. This is God's personal reference to who he calls himself. Now, out of respect, uh, some translations translate this name, capital L-O-R-D, because they don't want to say the name. Jewish people to this day, right? What do they say? Some Jewish folks here. Anybody want to yell it out? Hashem, right? What does Hashem mean? The name. It's in Hebrew for the name. Instead of pronouncing the name, they say the name out of respect for God's name. That's how holy this name is. And God's going to say Hashem. Actually, it's Shemi in Hebrew, my name, but same word. My name, this holy Hashem is in him. It's part of him. It's part of his DNA. And we find here then this is why this is Christ. No one else has Jesus' name as their DNA. And so John explains this to us. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has exposited him. John 1.18 Jesus is the radiance of his glory. The exact representation of his nature. This is what this is teaching. This is that his name, the name Yahweh is in Jesus. Or Colossians 1.15. He is, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is, he is, and so that's why he said repeatedly, I am. 
And Jewish people knew what he was saying because they, they wanted to stone him for blasphemy by claiming that. He is Yahweh. He is I am. And yet we find, not just in the New Testament, we find this clear reference to the name of God being in him, in Jesus. I like this. This is not mine. In fact, I try to find the source. I do not know where the source is. But this is, this is what we try to conceive of the Trinity, right? We don't understand all that goes into this, but we know that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are God. And yet the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit. And yet they are all three persons, one God. And so here, the God the Son is manifesting who God is in human flesh. We haven't seen God at any time, but the only begotten God, Jesus, has declared him. And so, because of that, we have to return to this. Why is it then that he would not pardon? All right, so got to follow this, all right? Please. Um, this, is, this, is, this was just, I love this. Maybe you won't, but it's so glorious. He will not pardon because my name is in him. Because the name is more than just a title, right? The Old Testament name is that person. Jacob is tricky. So he's a trickster because that's his name and God changes his name when his character changes. My name, my character, my person is in this one. And I, he will not forgive you because I will not forgive you. That's, that's where we are. And so we need to go back to Exodus 23 and see what's happening. And it's not good. Exodus 20, God gives the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20 to 24, the children of Israel in Exodus 24 say, we're going to obey. In fact, you have another fascinating Christophany in Exodus 24 that we're not going to go into. But it says that they go up to the mount, 70 elders, elders with, with Moses, Aaron, and I think one other, and the 70 elders. And you know what they do? They eat with God. If this is what it says. There's this, I think that's a Christophany where Jesus actually ate with them. But they show him, they, they say they see him at that point, Exodus 24. It does not help. They come down, and what happens between Exodus 24 and Exodus 33? What do they do? They have this drunken orgy, all the people, where they start worshiping a false God, an idol that they call by God's name, but his name is not in that idol for certain. And there's this total wickedness where they're breaking all of the Ten Commandments at once. And Moses erupts. He throws the tablets down. He is angry. God is angry. That's what's going on. And so we find from Exodus 23 to 33 some really interesting emotions. Let's just take a few samples here. He will not pardon your transgression since my name is in him. Secondly, the Lord said to Moses, say to the sons of Israel, you are an obstinate people. Should I go up in your midst? Should I be with you for a moment? I would destroy you. Okay, this is what happens. This is God's spirit because of their disobedience. He's like, even if I were you with you for a moment, you are so wicked, I would destroy you all. And so this is God's name. 
This is his character. God is holy, just. He cannot just wipe away sin. The word up here is pardon, is to lift up, to take away. He cannot take away the sin. It has to be dealt with. It has to be judged. Holiness has to be satisfied. That is God's name. Right? When you see someone who is a judge twist justice to excuse the guilty, there's something in us that says, that's bad. That is wrong. And it's the same for God. God cannot just shove sin under the rug. It must be punished. This is his name. This is Jesus' name. God has put all judgment unto Jesus. So we read that. But then we read this. Moses is praying. And he says, if your presence does not go with us, don't lead us up from here. I'm not going, God, if you're not going to be with me. If you say you can't go with these people because they're obstinate, I don't want to go. I'm not going anywhere where you're not going. And so this is Moses' conundrum as he's coming before the Lord. He says, I realize we're all wicked. In fact, Moses is going to break his command too and God's going to judge him. But he says, listen, if you can't go up, then I can't go up. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going up with us? You have to be with us, God. You have to be with us. And yet, if he goes up, it's in his name that he will judge Well, God responds to that message with a beautiful, beautiful passage. It's one of my favorite. I I really, really meditate on this. Often, Exodus 33 and 34. Look at how God responds to Moses. Moses says, I pray you show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim, what? The name of the Lord. I will be gracious I will have compassion. You go back to where he actually does that in Exodus 34. He says, I will forgive sin. So so we have this. It's in his name to judge, to be holy. And it's in his name to pardon and to forgive. Both of those are his name. Both of those are his character. So how are we going to deal with this? And that's where we find that the Old Testament is not enough. Christ coming as the angel of the Lord was not enough. He had to take on flesh. He had to take on blood in order to shed his blood. And this is proclaiming that in order for the Lord to uphold his name as just and uphold his name as justifier, he has to come himself and take the penalty. This is the only way that both of these can be true in one name. And so Romans teaches us this. Read this. This is this. I really I wish I could take 20 minutes with this, but we're out of time. He says, all have sinned. Moses, the children of Israel, Tim, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we can be justified being justified as a gift of his grace through the redemption, which is in Messiah, this angel of the Lord whom God displayed publicly on the cross as a propitiation, the one who satisfies the wrath of God. The wrath of the name is poured out upon Jesus. His blood is shed. And so by faith in that propitiation, 
faith in Jesus, I can be declared right before God. Because Jesus is condemned. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over sins previously committed. And so he was not able to pardon in that time. It's called kafir. It's the covering. These sins were covered by faith in the revelation that God had given at that point until they could pass over and his wrath could be placed upon the cross, upon Jesus. And so Jesus actually was able to bear the sins of Moses on the cross because God in his forbearance passed over those sins previously committed in order to be placed upon Jesus. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be what? Both just and justifier. So that in his name, in his name Jesus, Jehovah, I am, saves. Just and justifier. We find the angel of the Lord is able to give mercy to you and to me. All of us who have faith in Jesus. And that is what he's done. That is the glorious message of the angel of the Lord. But we have to get to that last one. The shadows of Christophanes still must take on flesh. He has to come. He has to suffer in our place. And so he gives us freedom. Freedom from that wrath. And all of you today, we just need to come to grips with this. No condemnation do I dread. Right now, when, when I am going out of line, I do not fear hell. I do not fear that God will send me to hell. I, I fear that I will grieve my Heavenly Father. And that should be an, just as strong a motivation. That His grace leads me to repentance. Why would I live in sin if, if this... Son of God came to die in my place. And so it does challenge us to continue to obey his voice. Our third point there, God's blessing in the messenger. And as I follow him, as I obey his voice, he does bless. But it's not just the blessing of temporal blessing. It's the eternal blessing of this new covenant that gives us into the new land that he's prepared for us for eternity. Where there will be no sin where the tabernacle of God is among us, and he will always be with us for eternity. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I realize that's a lot there at the end, but it's just glorious. I feel like we just need to bow down and praise God, that he is the just and the justifier. If you have never believed that, would you believe that now? Perhaps you've tried to earn your own way. It is never enough. It is never enough. You need forgiveness. And the forgiveness can only come through Jesus. And so I would encourage you all to find grace at the cross today. But perhaps also you're facing some difficult trial or loneliness. Find comfort in Christ today. Okay. Those are our two applications from the angel of the Lord in this text. Be have a quiet, we'll have a quiet time of just a minute here where you can respond to this message. Talk to the Lord. Bring your cares to him. He wants to hear them. If you don't know him, ask him for this forgiveness that's proclaimed all the way back in Exodus um, to you today uh, through Christ our Lord. I'll be staying at the back. Be happy to pray with you if you have anything to pray about along these lines. But we all need to come to the Lord and worship and praise. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for uh, your revelation that shows us your name is not just just and holy, but it is forgiving, uh, Lord, so that you can go with us. For truly, if, if you did not forgive us and pardon us, there would be no way you could go with us and comfort us all along the way. For all, all of us have fallen short of your glory. Lord, give us grace, though, to walk closer and closer, to be more and more like you. Lord, help us not to excuse our sin, uh, that your grace may abound. May we uh, walk consistently as a church that is being built up in Christ to reflect more carefully your love, uh, your character to the world around us, we pray. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.